Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning here on BYU Radio, the show that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every week we do our darndest to give you really only the good stuff from entertainment in movies and TVs. We're not interested in talking about the gossip or the tragic news. We just want to gear you up for a good weekend and maybe provide you with some options for what you can enjoy as a family. Yeah, we've got some movie reviews today to talk about some new releases. But uh, let's share some of the good news from this past week, first of all. So, uh, Cole, you'll be a fan of this first piece of news. I already am. About Spider-Man. Yep, always. MCU. Are we positive that this is the name? Because there was a little uh, controversy this week of what the the real name for the third Spider-Man it's would not, be. It's not. I mean, first of all, controversy over a movie title. Because so multiple actors that play characters in the Spider-Man universe on their Instagrams posted differing movies, uh, movie titles for what was going to be the third Spider-Man movie. The one I think that we've zeroed in on is No Way Home. Is the the official one? I'm guessing that's true because they've all had home in the title, right? Well, these other alternative ones had home in the title as well. They know what they're doing. Well, we should come up with our own then. So first it was homecoming. Mm -hmm. Then it was far from home. Mm -hmm. How about there's no place like home? Home Alone also is home alone. a popular one I've seen. Has anybody around. come up with There's No Place Like Home? Probably. Oh. The internet's always one step ahead, Jeffrey. Okay. How about Home, Home on the Range? Home, Home on the Range. <laughs> home on the Range. That's a Disney movie. That's one of those forgotten mid-2000s. Never saw it. Terrible. Never yeah. saw it. All right. Yeah. But No Way Home is officially, and the cast list for this Spider-Man 3 is just remarkable. It's I'm, another multiverse. Anyone that's keeping up with WandaVision knows that the multiverse is coming into the MCU in a big way, and they're going to take advantage of that in the Spider-Man movie. How about Homie Don't Play That? That's a reference from an obscure sketch comedy series called In Living Color. But not that obscure, because it's the series that launched Jim Carrey to movie stardom. There you go. Yeah. All kinds of home References I'm, I'm they holding could, out for Homie Don't Play That. They could play. That'll be the fourth Spider-Man movie. And there's a new Pixar trailer out. How exciting yeah, is that? it seems like just last week we were talking about Raya and the Last Dragon, and now we're learning about Luca, too. Okay. Be jealous, because I've got an advanced screener for Raya and the Last Dragon, and my family and I will be enjoying it tonight together. There you go. Yes. And we'll have a review of that on screen cleaning once it comes out for the general public. Absolutely. <laughs> And then, you know, uh, speaking of revivals, we weren't speaking of revivals. But we are now. How about we now speak of revivals? We're talking about streaming, of course, and Paramount of Plus course. is trying to get their name out there more. Disney Plus already has such a large portion of that home market share. And then Netflix, everyone knows about Netflix. So Paramount Plus trying to carve their own little way into it. And they're doing it by reminding you of something that you loved from the 90s. That's what everyone's doing. This is Frasier that's coming back. Because I've always wanted a revival of a spinoff of an original character on a different show. Yeah. Does Paramount not own Cheers? Can't we get like a new place where everyone knows your name before we go out to Seattle and do the spinoff of it? I would love to see Shelley Long on TV again. I've got to be honest with you. It's been years. It's been too long, Shelley Long. Come back to us. And uh, uh, Cole, I read, and I'm excited to announce that uh, there's going to be on June 11th the premiere 
of Loki on Disney+. And that follows up almost directly the heels of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which will have a nine or so episode run. Disney, they missed out on the whole 2020 slate because they kind of pushed them back. And now they're going to keep me on Disney Plus for the next year because they are going (laughs) back to back to back with these TV show, long movie things that are coming to Disney. And I have loved every second of WandaVision and it's my favorite thing that is streaming right now by far and so I have a lot of hope for both Falcon and the Winter Soldier which comes directly after WandaVision and then Loki. By the way, did you see the mid-credit scene from the latest episode of WandaVision? It was the first and only episode. The latest as of this morning or the latest as in last week? The one called Breaking the Fourth Wall. Yes. Uh, I think that's the name of the title. Yes. You did see that scene? Yes. I had to read about it later, and then I had to go back and watch it. Yeah, it's a little it. creepy. Marvel, Marvel didn't train you well enough to watch through the credits No, I, I I stuck around like a sucker for mm. the first three episodes or so. They lulled you into didn't a false sense any. of security, Jeff. <laughs> no, watch the credits every time, just okay. in case. All right. It's Marvel. I got to tell you, the of all of the series that are coming out on Disney Plus, the ones I've been most excited for are WandaVision, and it's lived up to my expectation. It probably exceeded my expectations. It has far exceeded mine. Um, and Loki, because I am a fan of these Marvel series or movies that kind of go off the beaten path, right? That seem different. That I would want, I could enjoy them on a level other than just the MCU level. For instance, like Guardians of the Galaxy, I felt could have been a good standalone film. Ant-Man, the original Ant-Man, I felt like could have been a standalone film. And I think for the most part, eh, WandaVision could be a good standalone series. Of course, you might not get a lot of what's going on in the show if you haven't seen the other films, but my watch loves WandaVision, watches it with me every week. And uh, she doesn't remember any of those Avengers movies. I said, you know, we probably ought to watch Captain Marvel. And she's like, meh. And I I can appreciate that. So more so than, you know, the one I'm looking forward to the least is Falcon and Winter Soldier, actually. Because it's a direct sequel to the actual Marvel continuity, yeah. which is what they have going for them. But WandaVision, you're like, what is going on? And I love that about it. So All right. kudos to you, WandaVision. Cole, what are you going to be doing this weekend? I know something you will probably not be doing this weekend. I will definitely be watching the newest WandaVision, right? I have a busy Friday ahead of me, but Saturday is generally my, like, calmer day where I catch up on WandaVision. But I know that you will not be watching the the Golden Golden Globes Globes here this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. The, The poor man's Oscars, the ones that don't matter, the ones that there's never a Jeopardy category about which one won best drama. But the Golden Globes are this weekend. You got any early picks? I mean, they're happening two months before the Oscars happen. Which, what are we still waiting for for the Oscars, by the way? It's prom- Nomadland came out. That's kind of the last one. Yeah. Minari came out. We reviewed it here. We thought it was great. It's probably going to be Nomadland because that seems to be a favorite. Or since it takes place in Hollywood, maybe uh, Mank. See, Mank is more of an Academy kind of a, yeah. a movie. That's what I would predict. Um, I just know that there's going to be a lot of virtual hosting and presenting, and uh, it'll be different. But, you know, you've got Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, so if you're a fan of the two of them, you should definitely check it out. And they've done this gig before. Oh, yeah. They're good at it. It's old hat for them. I'll I'll watch it. Um, I I will watch 
their monologue probably afterwards. Oh, Cole. I was going to say, we've got you on record as saying you're going to watch the Golden Globes and you cannot go back on your word. Well, (laughs) I do often. So also this weekend, if you are a fan of the old cartoon or if you've got kids who love cartoons. More like that one. Okay. You may want to check out Tom and Jerry, which you can either go to the movie theaters to see or you can just cough up $15, which might be the cheaper option, to see it on HBO Max. And then for a whole month, you'd have uh, you'd have everything that HBO Max has to offer. Yeah, they're separating their releases by about a month. So you have to like stick around for the next month if you want Godzilla versus Kong. Now, right? wait a minute. When does, but, uh, when does Justice League come out? That one's not until May or June. Oh, so it's a couple months. But they're, they're trying dogs. the Disney strategy. Right. Because they're releasing them just a month later, like they'll keep you around. So once you have Tom and you have HBO Max for a month after you down, you get it to watch Tom and Jerry. Then you see, oh, man, Godzilla comes out next week. I could probably stick around for another month. And then you're like, oh, man, Justice League comes out next week. And then you stick around for another month. And then you're like, oh, Dune comes out next week. Let's stick around. You know what, though? That's currently until I think it's about March 3rd or March 6th. You can get 20% off, actually 22% off your HBO Max subscription. So if you want to save a couple of bucks, I think that would make it $12 a month as opposed to $15 a month. Now is the time to sign up for HBO Max and you'll get that price for six months. Just be warned, once you get it, they've got you. They've got you, right? Because they've, as you said, they've spaced out the premieres of these movies so that uh, you'll have to come back, right? So we're, we're all about the deals, but just know what you're getting yourself into. They're going to Michael Corleone you right back into <laughs> an HBO Max subscription. Tom and Jerry's like the big box office kind of release, but we're a big fan of the underlooked ones, the, the digging for gold, you know, stuff underneath the surface. That's what we try to do is shine a spotlight on what not everyone is talking about. And here in Utah, there is a film festival going on right now the LDS Film Festival, and we had passes and we've gotten to see a few movies already. Yeah, so I want to talk about my movie first. It was one that I chose to not go to the big premiere the night that I went, and uh, instead Cole went to see that one, which he'll talk about here in just a minute. But I actually went to the one that was in the smaller theater, fewer people, and it was for a film called Into the Soul. And here's the premise of that movie. And uh, it's about a 19th century fur trapper who's experiencing some temporary amnesia after he's been badly injured out in the Rocky Mountains. He's all alone, and he's got to try to figure out his past. So it's it's interesting because the whole they must have cranked up the AC in my movie theater because not only was he alone in the snow for the entirety of the movie, but I was like, I am freezing in this theater right now. It's probably... It's the 4D effect. I'm I'm telling you, I've been to movies like that before where it's supposed to be cold on screen. And so I've, uh, you know, my conspiracy theory brain, the part of my brain that is like that barely exists, kicked in. And uh, I was like, I'm freezing in the air. They probably did that on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you can appreciate, man, that must have been a pain to be out there in the deep, deep snow Clawing through, crawling through the snow with his bare hands. Looked frigid, looked freezing. And I'm talking, of course, of actor Aiden Tyler Hatch, who is also an executive producer on the film. And it also stars McKenna Florey. 
as his this girlfriend that he's trying to get back to. And the reason he's even out on this expedition is because he was orphaned at a very young age. And so he just got, you know, tossed to and from various orphanages. And he talks about how while other kids wanted to be adopted, I didn't. And it's because he has such fond memories of his mom. And so he takes on just these farmhand jobs. And this is where he meets this girl played by McKenna Flory that no surprise, they fall in love. But because he comes from nothing, he has no prospects, nothing to his name, no education, really. Uh, the dad is not going to have it. And so he really tries to go out and try to make something of himself so that he can hopefully someday return and, and marry this girl. And, uh, yeah, he struggles to make it back, not only uh, beating the odds and fighting the elements, but trying to piece together his past and figure out what he's missing out on, right? So I thought the cinematography and the music were quite good. And, uh, you know, dedicated performance, obviously people that were dedicated enough to being in this movie that they put their name on that executive producer role, right? So uh, Into the Soul is actually a movie from 2020 that I got to watch at the LDS Film Festival. And uh, I'm glad that I got the opportunity. There were all sorts of movies. That was a narrative feature. And they also had a couple documentaries that aired uh, sort of at the same time. And we sent producer Avery to check out one of those. You're, you're the more high-classy uh, person, the, the more refined movie. Documentary doesn't always you know. mean that he's better than me, Cole. I didn't see a documentary okay. <laughs> either, for the record. But Avery, what did you think a about your documentary? A refined movie taste. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so last night I got to go and see at the LDS Film Festival a nice little documentary called Heart of the Bear. And I actually found it quite touching. I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to. Not that I had negative expectations, but it told the story of this, um, this small community in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains. Uh, it was actually just filmed last year during the first wave of COVID-19. And it follows this woodsman named Hoppy Quick, who, like I said, he lives. Love in this, that name. It is. It's, it's a great name. And he, Hoppy is there such a nice character. Well, he's a real person, but he's such a nice character. He's got this long, long beard, long hair, this nice glasses. Like looks like a really like your outdoorsy grandfather. Anyway, and uh, so you know, obviously he and he had the great kind of he kind of fell into by chance this online community. I think it was on Facebook. They never specified where he would do live streams to, and, and kind of spread to help spread positivity during the early days of COVID-19. And we know that in New York, where he lives, that was especially um, burdensome. That was a really big deal last year. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the hardest states hit. So, you know, he goes online and he spreads his kind of outdoorsman love and wisdom and positivity to all these people online who just ate it up and loved it. Um, and so it just follows him and his small community as they kind of navigate those early days of COVID-19. And it was really touching. It really had a really nice message of love and love and community. There's all sorts of kinds of movies, right? Most of them are from LDS filmmakers, but they're just about good either family stories or uplifting stories mm -hmm. like that documentary. And some are about LDS topics like the movie that I went to see, Heart of Africa 2, Companions, which is directed by Tsofer Kumbabi, and he is a Congolese man that 
is trying to, in, in real life, he is restarting the Congolese film industry uh, by filming in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and making this movie about two LDS missionaries in the area that are trying to build an orphanage for the community. And it's about a, a white kid from Idaho that comes and becomes the companion to Elder Ngandu, who is a native Congolese man. And their story of learning to love and appreciate one another as companions. It starts off very, very frictioned because you have someone that's very new and different to a culture coming in and just not understanding the way things are supposed to be. Sure. And Elder Ngandu has a he he just prickles a little bit at some of the things that Elder Martin comes in and, and ends up doing. And he's just that very, very stereotypical, wears blue glasses, sunglasses all the time, mm. and very white, very, like, pretty coiffed hair. Uh, and it just, it contrasts really well with the area that they're around and the area that they grow to love and try to build up the community. So it's it's about just those two and their interactions and them eventually coming together through past problems that they've had in their lives. Like, they, they each had different journeys that led them to being missionaries at this point and how they go forward is now what the movie becomes it's a sequel the heart of africa one was filmed last came out last year and it was by the same director by the same team whenever i was sitting in the movie theater they had everyone raise their hands if they'd seen the first one about 90 percent of the, the theater which was oh wow two capacity quote unquote yeah. which means it's about a half full theater in these days a uh, lot of people had already seen the first one. This one comes out in theaters locally in Utah today, Heart of Africa 2. So if you would like to see it as well, it's available. There you go. And then their main stage presentation, the one that headlined and was shown on the first day of the film festival, is a film called Witnesses about the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon. And you guys got a pretty good sneak peek because I don't think that movie comes out until the summer. Not until June 4th, actually. And along with the sneak peek, along with getting to see the movie, they did what a lot of film festivals do and give us a Q&A. Some of the actors, directors, and producers that were a part of bringing this movie to life were there and answering questions to just the folks in Orem in that theater. It was great. Yeah, it was really great. I don't think, you know, I think growing up, I saw individual movies. Growing up in the church, I should say, because we saw individual movies about the witnesses, right? Like there's that Martin Harris one, that one about David Whitner, Whit Whitmer, excuse me, but never and one. And even like Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration, yeah, right. tackles a lot of the same time periods. And we saw some of the same events take place in this. Exactly. But I've never seen the story told this way about, you know, highlighting the three witnesses as a collective and their their relationship with Joseph Smith and their enduring testimony of the Book of Mormon. So that was really cool to and see. And there was a commitment to authenticity in this movie that sometimes you don't get from other church productions that are focused more on, like, the spirit that you feel. Spirit working both ways, right? The spirit that you feel as you watch a movie and as you come closer as, as you're going through an experience. This one, as they filmed it, they were dedicated towards showing the way things historically were recounted to have happened. And that was interesting to see on film for the first time. Well, I'm excited to see it, and uh, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to see these movies that we might not otherwise have watched. And uh, so, actually, when we return, we are going to be getting a deeper dive into the LDS Film Festival with the director of the LDS Film Festival himself, Mr. Kells Goodman. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. 
the book is done, Joseph has been commanded to restore the true Church of Christ. Restore? You will see the plates. The Lord has declared it. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna get up. This year is the 20th LDS Film Festival nestled in Orem, Utah. And each year it brings veteran and young filmmakers together to showcase the best that LDS filmmaking can be. And today we're speaking with director and the director of the LDS Film Festival, Kells Goodman. Kells, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Kells, uh, first of all, I think we're interested in knowing how you personally got into the filmmaking industry in general. Well, I was uh, I was one of those kids that was uh, ten years old when Star Wars came out, oh, and when, when you're a when you're a kid when Star Wars came out, you are uh, you're a different kid, and uh, <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> something that made me go, oh, I got to do this for a living. So yeah, I totally uh, got in on the Star Wars craze, and and then I came up to BYU to actually study um, filmmaking, and then. From there, I worked. I stayed in Utah and worked on anything that uh, pretty much came in and out of Utah through the late '80s and the early '90s and the early 2000s. So, yeah. So, just curious, where where did you live when you first saw that movie? And did you have the same experience as everybody else getting in those lines that wrapped around the block? Oh boy, I was. I went to the Plitt Theater. I can actually specifically remember the Plitt Theater in Harlingen, Texas, where I grew up near South Padre Island and McAllen. And, uh, and I saw that at 10 years old, stood around the block and, and there's a thrill to it. There's, there's definitely a thrill to being there opening night to one of those films. So that was an amazing experience. We mentioned 20 years of the LDS Film Festival. What's some of the history of that festival here in Utah? Well, the LDS Film Festival started uh, by uh, filmmaker Christian Voisa, who's actually from Austria, and him and I were BYU friends, and uh, he went on to direct a few LDS movies himself, uh, Baptist at Our Barbecue is one of them, and uh, One Good Man, and Errand of Angels, so he's done a few LDS films, and he actually um, started the festival Back right after uh, God's Army came out, when when that explosion started, uh, that was the time in which God's Army proved that you could take an LDS story and actually make money on it. And that was that was that's the the part of it that makes it very difficult because these this is an expensive hobby, as my dad used to call it. And uh, and if you're going to spend money, you better learn to make money. And God's Army kind of proved that. And so that explosion happened, thus justifying uh, a festival to be able to showcase films. Yeah. So we were really curious when we uh, when we communicated with you over email about this festival in particular. Um, the past couple of years have been interesting, obviously, for everybody and in terms of film festivals in general. So tell us a little bit about, uh, other than the films that will be showcased here at this film festival, talk to us about some of the other unique aspects of this particular film festival. Well, obviously, there's the religious aspect, and there's a lot of festivals. Um, I think if you went to Film Freeway, which is kind of the hub of film festivals, if you were to say enter 
a movie into a festival. You'll see all kinds of festivals, uh, religious ones, uh, LGBTQ festivals. You'll see festivals about music. The LDS Film Festival is very particular because there's none other like it. There's only one LDS Film Festival, and that's it. And, uh, of course, our market, I don't think, is big enough to have more than one at, the, at this moment. But uh, that's kind of what makes it particular. Plus, it's almost like a family reunion to those of us who've mm. kind of been in the business for a long time. Uh, every time we do it, it's I see people that this is like the annual reunion of all filmmakers and <laughs> awesome. LDS cinema, you know. And so it's like, hey, I haven't seen you in, in a year. And uh, that's about the only time you see them, you know. So, so Kels, we were so delighted when we discovered that this film festival this year is actually going to be in person. And I think we're curious how how were you able to cut through some of the red tape and make sure that this festival was going to continue on and people were still going to be able to see these films in person. Well, you know that's a good question, and I and the theme of this year's festival is uh is live and in person i mean that's what we want to we want to push the concept of come on out don't be afraid we do have restrictions in place and that's the beauty of it you know when it all during the covid year of 2020 while other theaters were closing the sira actually stayed open almost the whole time and they did not only their movies but they also had their live productions and during those times they all practiced the social distancing they all practiced uh you know asking people to not uh to stay home if they're not feeling well you know they did all of those restrictions in place and really successfully did so plus their theaters are so big i mean we're looking at a 750 seat theater the average theater size in a cinemark is about 200 yeah so we could we could cut down to to literally a third and still be the size of a cinemark so oh, that's great uh, the the joke we have is that in past festivals the theaters are so big that we were already social distancing <laughs> even before covid <laughs> because they're so big oh goodness. so uh, kind yeah. of the fun part of it so so in comparison to previous years of the LDS Film Festival, have you seen fewer submissions because of COVID? Definitely, definitely fewer submissions. Uh, but we still had enough material to justify a full festival. Um, we were we were actually in the middle of uh, since I took over the I took over the festival four years ago. So this is my fourth festival of me being the owner, and. Um, we were starting to expand from a three and a half day event to a five and a half day event over the last few years because we were having so much material. Um, and then this year we decided to cut back down to a three and a half day event, which is what it is now uh, at, in its original form, basically. So, so it didn't hurt us that much in, in my opinion, as far as uh, uh membership and but one thing i will have to say we've already sold out one of our movies uh witnesses is sold out as of this morning and so we oh, fantastic we, we're glad that that it's people are still coming out you've been involved in this uh utah lds filmmaking scene for quite some time what would you say are some of the trends that you've been able to witness that of things that are submitted to the festival and just in general in movie making Sure. I think one of the the differences that is starting to happen is 
you know, you're seeing things go in waves. In the early days, it was like, oh, look at missionaries. You know, aren't they different? Hey, look at, <laughs> you know, look at Mormon culture. Isn't it different? You know, that was singles ward and God's army. And, you know, they would talk about those things. So now we've kind of evolved into, um, like, for example, historical aspects. And uh, we went through a wave of pioneer movies and uh, movies about church history that we already knew about. But we, now we get to see them dramatized. Now what you're seeing is you're seeing historical events such as the Saratov approach, where it's it's not necessarily church history, but it is uh, members of the church going through independent struggles and uh, or or world events that might have something to do with uh, with the church and uh, and seeing them in film form now. So it's not all church history movies anymore. It's not. It's more real life stories that you're seeing. Uh, being played out. That's fascinating. And so you, I mean, you've name dropped a couple. What are some of your personal favorite movies that have funneled through this festival throughout the years? Well, uh, let's see. Well, Saratov Approach is one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, uh, Garrett Batty is such a great filmmaker. Uh, The Fighting Preacher is another one that, uh, that has come, came last year, uh, which is another, again, not necessarily church history, but more, uh, independent stories uh, being told in in the history of the church, um, and there's a lot of great short ones. This year, there's some great short films are probably the winners. I would say as far as great production value and uh, great film storytelling, uh, the Stranger is a short film that we're going to be showing this year. Um, no Daddy Daughter Dance, another great one. <laughs> uh, Remembering Heaven is a doc documentary that we're going to be showing. These are some really fun ones that, that I've, that have become some of my favorites. Uh, and we're also going to be showing, you know, this week. Um, yeah, just, those are some favorites from the past that I've really enjoyed. Kels, as we've already talked about, you've been doing this for a while now. We've, we've got people listening that I'm sure are aspiring filmmakers. You've likely got people that will attend this festival that are aspiring filmmakers. What advice would you give an aspiring filmmaker, not just uh, who wants to become an LDS filmmaker, but just a filmmaker in general? Well, uh, one of my pieces of advice is to go out and get busy and go see what's happening and go make whatever is happening better. Um, A degree, you know, while, while I've got my degree at BYU, I usually tell young aspiring filmmakers to not necessarily worry about getting a, a degree in film, but actually go work on films, go go volunteer on films and uh, and go see what they're doing, see what the trend is. You know, today, filmmaking is so different. I mean, with YouTube and and uh, other streaming services uh and, and of course, now the digital technology has made it to where you can almost create your own content. And uh, so, you know, creating your own content is so important today. Uh, and I also encourage people to not necessarily worry about everything being LDS. I would say that uh, uh, 30% of our content is actually LDS based. The other 70 is not even LDS related. They're just good films. They're just clean films that families can watch. And, uh, and, you know, you're seeing that more and more. 
You've got Quarantine for Two playing at this year's festival, but what is next on the <laughs> slate for you? What What are you looking forward to? Uh, I've got a I've got a couple of projects uh, that I'm going to start on once. Literally, once the festival's over, I go right into uh, pre production on, no on a on a comedy. I like it. So yeah, I I just it's a comedy. I, I don't want to go too much into it, but it's a comedy about filmmaking. And uh, and it's currently called the the title of it is called the making of the making of, and so you can just let your mind flutter on on where that's going, and uh, and it's a comedy uh, that we're going to be doing about filmmaking and the processes and how they've changed today, kind of almost like The Office, you know, kind of a <laughs> The Office and uh, Spinal Tap mixed together. <laughs> so we're looking forward something to it. Fun. Well, Kells, we want to we really want to thank you for your time here on Screen Cleaning today. Kells Goodman is a director himself, but he's also the director of the LDS Film Festival in Orem, and that will be going from February 24th to 27th. Kells, thanks again. It was great to meet you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on today. Kells actually introduced the the movie that I watched Into the Soul. I I, I assume he did the same for your films as well. He was there for witnesses, definitely okay. on that first night. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a Q and A after Into the Soul. Unfortunately, I could not stick around to participate in that. But I understand that after Witnesses, you guys experienced that Q&A, right? Yeah, the young actor that played Joseph Smith was there and told a fun, like, missionary story because the actors that played Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer are actually not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so as they were portraying some of these events that are that, that Joseph Smith's guy, like, knows, like, the back of his hand because he is a returned missionary, they were started asking questions to him, which he, of course, had answers to. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, in addition to that cool missionary experience they had while fish- filming that very missionary movie, um, they also gave, the crew also gave us some cool other little details. Like it was the f- movie was filmed on location in Utah, but mostly on the East Coast, where these events took place, both in the United States and Canada. You and can't you can, fake the green of no, upstate New York. You can tell when you watch the movie. <laughs> you can tell you're like this is this is East Coast greenery. This is that upstate New York. Kells recommended some of the short films and some other movies that are still playing at the LDS Film Festival right now. And so our podcast is released on Friday. So if you're listening to it right now and you're in the central Utah area or in Provo, uh, up in Lehigh, Salt Lake, whatever, if you want to come down to the Sarah Theater or Sira or however we've decided that we're pronouncing it's definitely that. not Scara. I think we can establish that, right? There's, there's been conflicting. Even as we were, as I was sitting in the Sarah, uh, they played a little trailer beforehand. That and he said, said Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. But a, a man that like works for the LDS Film Festival pronounced it Sarah. Locally, we can't decide, but it's the theater that is on State Street in Orem, and they're playing the LDS Film How Festival. How about Sierra? Right now. I've heard people call it the Sierra, and it definitely cannot be that. You know what? It's whatever they want it to be. Okay. We all understand what theater you're talking about. Yes. And then if you're listening to us on the radio on BYU Radio on Saturday, there's still time to run over and check out the awards ceremony. At the end of each film, uh, they gave us a chance to rate and review, and so they will award the best movie at the film festival on Saturday evening. We've enjoyed talking about the LDS Film Festival, and there will be one other LDS film that we will mention when we do our little Panning for Good segment. But up next on the program, when we return from break, we're going to be talking about some of the most successful films to come out of film festivals. 
And uh, no surprise, you've probably seen some of them or at least heard of them. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. Would somebody please turn off that rain machine here in the studio? We've got a show to do. I gotta fall asleep somehow, Jeffrey. Okay. And well, I forgot my umbrella. It just works out. I love how you hear that music and you think Butch Cassidy and the Sundance. Spider Man 2, yes. Now, okay. That's in that movie? Of course. Okay. Right after he uh, gets rid of, like, he decides to not be Spider-Man anymore, and everything starts turning out okay again. He has to put on his glasses. He starts, like, losing his spider powers. But things are coming together for hmm. Peter Parker right before he realizes that there's still bad guys out there that Spider-Man should be taking care of with his great power and great responsibility. Um, as Uncle Ben or a.k.a. Cliff Robertson would say. But maybe even to a lesser degree, I think of Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen, the movie that is a spoof of Die Hard by title and spy movies in general Mm -hmm. that has a cold opening theme song by uh, Weird Al Yankovic called Spy Hard that you should definitely check out on YouTube. And Raindrops Keep Falling My Head is also... There's a, there's a Butch Cassidy yeah. spoof scene in there as well. Well, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the reason we're playing that is because we're going to talk about the Sundance Film Festival. It ended about a month ago. Slam Dance just happened. But Utah is kind of the home for this indie film, uh, at least expositioning, uh, ex- exhibiting. Um, but we also enjoy the, the films that are made here in Utah. I'm glad that we're talking about some of our favorites from the Sundance Film Festival because, I don't know, my mind always seems to gravitate more toward uh, this idea of the Sundance Film Festival just being full of, you know, highfalutin, boring or depressing movies. When in actuality, there are several comedies on this list that I genuinely enjoy Forget about, uh, you know, Sundance Film Festival. Like, I actually really like them. And my favorite to probably come out of the Sundance Film Festival is the little movie that could, Napoleon Dynamite, which was made for a whopping $400,000 and went on to gross over $45 million and become this pop culture phenomenon that launched several different careers the Hesses, Jared and Jerusha Hess, the directors of that film, as well as John Heater, who played Napoleon Dynamite. Didn't take place in Utah, though. Takes place in Idaho, and it is a very Idaho movie. Definitely. I have now officially seen Napoleon Dynamite. I hadn't before this past year doing things on screen cleaning. At Jeff's behest, I finally buckled down, watched it, and it was much, much better than I anticipated it would be because I just knew the dumb jokes. And yeah, the dumb jokes were there. But in between all the dumb jokes, it was a fun indie comedy that definitely belongs at Sundance. It reminded me of some of the other indie comedies that I really, really enjoy. And Napoleon Dynamite is actually our pick for Idaho. We did part one of our 50 states in movies 
And uh, you can look up that Part 1 podcast on our Screen Cleaning Podcast, as well as over 100 other episodes right there at your fingertips. Yeah, this week we're taking a little siesta. We took a break for the LDS Film Festival that is happening this weekend. We wanted to be current. We wanted to be on top of it. Next week we pick it up again with the Eastern United States in our tour across the United States and the movies that represent us. I'm guessing, Cole, if I had to be a betting man, I would bet that your one of your favorites from the Sundance Film Festival would be something maybe a little heavier in subject matter um, maybe more Oscar Beatty. What what say ye? Well, heavy probably defines it because indie horror was kind of born at mm. Sundance. You talk about a, a, the micro budget of Napoleon Dynamite. I can do you one smaller because <laughs> the Blair Witch Project was filmed with a bunch of camcorders and no name actors. Twenty five thousand dollars. It debuted at Sundance back in a time when. The rumors were swirling that this is a true story, and these kids really went into those woods in Maryland and really did find the the witches that had been haunting these grounds. And now we know, like, now we can kind of laugh at it, and now it's it's a kind of a less effective horror. But the fact that it pioneered, and at the time it captured our imagination that way, it's really exciting. Okay. I mean, I've read somewhere that that movie is potentially the most profitable movie ever made, or definitely one of them. And was definitely at the time, right? Because Sundance in 1999 is much different than it is today, where today it's just a bunch of studio execs that are looking to buy up and slap their name and title card and logo onto the front of something that a director made. But back in 1999, it really was this opportunity for little filmmakers to get a theater and get a big screen for a thing that they made. And then it got ruined by the corporations. You know, speaking of a filmmaker that is a big filmmaker now, but at the time he was a little filmmaker. I don't think his size changed much, but his size and stature certainly. Memento was a Sundance Film Festival hit, which was actually not the first film of Christopher Nolan. That movie would be the film Following. Which premiered at Slamdance, yes. Sundance's little cousin. But uh, Memento is really probably the one that got him on the map. And I certainly remember that film, even if the character within the film didn't remember anything past two minutes. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho's debuted, uh, debuted at Slamdance also Anthony and Joe Russo were at Slamdance. Ryan Johnson has been to Slamdance. What did the Russo brothers do at Slamdance? The Russo brothers directed Pieces, which Hmm. is... I've seen Pieces of that movie. Uh I haven't. (laughs) They debuted their black comedy at the 1997 festival and gained the attention of folks that ended up producing their second film, a little bit more seen, Welcome to Collinwood. You know what other movie from the Sundance Film Festival I really enjoyed is a little documentary, and I don't, you know, like most people, I don't necessarily gravitate toward documentaries, but this is one that I thought, hey, wouldn't it be hilarious if we rented this movie and while we watched it, we just pigged out on a bunch of takeout? And the film is Super Size Me, starring and uh, conceived of uh, by Morgan Spurlock, who uh, was also the director and the producer of this film, and he had this idea what if I ate nothing but McDonald's for 30 days? And every time they ask me, do you want to supersize that? 
You got to say yes. And what happened? Is it, I mean, are we getting into trouble now these days with, you know, the World Health Organization or something? Because I know who. When was the last time you were asked that question, do you want to supersize that meal? Before this documentary came out. As with all great documentaries that expose something, it changes something in the world. And so McDonald's legitimately stopped having that be a question after this documentary came out. Have you seen this movie, Cole? I, of course. It debuted for me in seventh grade health class. The scene, it wasn't on a big screen. It was on a projector. The scene where for one of the first few times that he's having a supersized meal, he's uh, describing how he's feeling. And he's talking about how, oh, I'm starting to feel some McPains right here in my McRibs, you know. Mm. And uh, then we all know how that meal ends as he's sitting in his car and can't quite finish it all the way right yeah oh my goodness so yeah did, I'm did you know this. jeffrey i i didn't make a documentary about it but as i drove from pennsylvania to utah when i was coming out here for college the first time the only food i ate for three days was mcdonald's in every state along the way really so i started my journey in pennsylvania ate lunch there uh and then got to ohio and had mcdonald's there and then Indiana and Illinois and Iowa and Nebraska and Wyoming into Utah. And so for that three-day journey, I had a McDonald's in every state. You know, to be fair to McDonald's, I've also seen people that have done experiments where they've eaten nothing but McDonald's and have actually lost some weight. So I guess it depends on what you're ordering and how big the portions are. And how poorly you were eating before you decided to go to McDonald's and right. somehow lost weight by eating McDonald's. And Morgan Spurlock also did not do any exercise, really. He he tried to live a sedentary lifestyle while he did this. Yeah. And going to his doctor, he said, the doctor said, you need to stop doing this like right now. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty decent advice. Another documentary that I really love that debuted at Sundance and eventually was so popular of a story that they made a narrative film based on the same subject matter was Man on Wire that turned oh, into Joseph Gordon-Levitt's yes. The Walk. That movie, Cole, I did not see the Joseph Gordon-Levitt version, but that movie, Man on Wire, it was... It was probably the most unique experience, one of the most unique experiences I've had watching a movie. Because, Are your hands are getting sweaty just thinking about it? Yeah. So there is that There is that aspect to it. Like you are just on pins and needles the entire movie. Even though the guy that did it is telling the story, you know he made it out alive. But here's how it was unique. I don't think my brain could process what I was seeing on the screen. Like it couldn't fathom that that could actually happen, that this was actually happening. I was watching a documentary where I still thought they had CGI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's It was such a weird experience because, you know, you've heard the expression, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, or it's too too good to be true or just unbelievable, right? All of those describe perfectly me watching this movie because I literally could not believe what I was seeing. For anyone that has not seen Man on Wire, it tells the true story of a Frenchman that cast a slack line, essentially, between the two towers and walked across it without a net below him and without falling. With complete confidence. And he would even, when he would get tired, would just kind of sit down on the wire and just chill for a minute. And so, obviously, this very illegal thing that he did 
uh, resulted in him being arrested. Oh, yeah, that was all. And on the police report, since they didn't know how else to describe what they arrested this guy for, they simply put man on wire, which I love. (laughs) So many good movies to come out of the Sundance Film Festival and in these film festivals in general. And it's great to see people support these little films, some of which go on to do really big things and launch big careers. And, uh, yeah, it just shows you the passion of these filmmakers. Anytime you've got an artist of any sorts that is so passionate about something that they're willing to put all their blood, sweat, and tears into to go on to do great things later on, I can get behind that for sure. And these film festivals give us an opportunity to to talk to them. They often will do a Q&A. I've been to the San Diego Film Festival. I've been up to Sundance before as well. And it's such a unique opportunity as just a movie person. You don't have to be a certified movie critic with your own movie podcast on BYU Radio to be able to be allowed in behind the scenes of the stories that people tell about the making of their movies. So and so I've been to Sundance before. Jeff, have you made the trek up through the canyon? You know, it may surprise it may surprise you to hear that I've never been to the Sundance Film Festival and I live like thirty minutes away. And you have for a few years now. I have, yeah. And so you've I, been a movie fan for a few I years now. I don't have a lot of excuses other than I, I've I guess I've just been under the impression of uh, well, I'll never get into a movie, and I'll probably have to park like three miles away in order to see a movie. But this year, especially, I didn't really have much of an excuse because they were doing a virtual festival, and so people had the opportunity to uh, get the links and purchase tickets and watch them from the comfort of their own home. Not just people. Producer Avery, you got into this virtual Sundance Film Festival this year. Yeah, I did. I couldn't believe, you know, they, they let a guy like me into Sundance. <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, I had the chance to go up and see a couple pictures at Sundance. But this year, you know, Sundance was totally virtual, for those who don't know. Um, so th- I had the great opportunity with some friends. We got a pass, and we spent basically a whole day. We just shacked up, and we watched like eight movies. Uh, eight Sundance back to back to back. Yeah, we just totally packed our schedule and watched as many Sundance pictures as we could in one day, and that was a great experience. That I that's never going to happen again for me. I'm sure, unless COVID continues. Talking about talking about film festivals and indie fair is a great transition into what we do every single week to talk about what's underneath the surface, and that's when we pan for good. There's good in them dire hills. I want to tell you about another LDS film that you can enjoy from the comfort of your own home. It's on Amazon Prime. You don't have to trudge through the snow or look for a parking spot or stand in these big long lines or pay these exorbitant fees in order to see this movie. Um, although one might argue the $120, $130, whatever Amazon is charging now might be a little exorbitant, but I digress. This is an LDS film about an LDS bishop who also happens to be a small town sheriff. That's quite an interesting premise right there. So you have this small town LDS bishop sheriff that uh, is trying to solve a mystery. And this film doesn't get trapped in in a lot of the uh, earlier LDS film tropes that you see where it's kind of poking fun at itself. Um, It's really just a straight murder mystery drama that happens to take place in this small LDS community. 
And so, yeah, there's a lot of conflict in this movie. There is a lot of suspense in this movie. And there's also a lot of Wilford Brimley. Fun fact, you may not have known this, but Wilford Brimley was actually a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he plays a fun role in this film. And uh, it's definitely one that I wouldn't hesitate to recommend because I've seen it, I've genuinely enjoyed it, and uh, it. I, I'm curious to know if, if you might be able to solve the mystery before the time is up for the big unveiling that happens at the end. And what's the movie called? Brigham City. There you go. The one thing I held off until the end for the big reveal. Brigham City, catch it on Amazon Prime. When I think of LDS films, and and even as we were sitting in the theater asked to rate the movies in the LDS Film Festival, I set them on a ranking from one to Testaments, which is in my mind that (laughs) 10 out of 10 LDS film uh, that I would recommend if you have managed. The first time I saw it was on a big screen in the Washington, D.C. Temple Visitors Center. And, you know, that's a film that I think we could feel good about recommending to anybody of any faith because it it uh, documents this visit by Jesus Christ. So whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ, it's a movie that we would recommend, and it's certainly accessible to anybody of any religion, to be sure. And a son coming together with his family. Yeah, so there's more to it than just this visitation. We've had a wonderful time talking about the LDS Film Festival today and really about film festivals in general. This idea of these little films that could and that go on sometimes to do great things. And uh, it's it's certainly something that we want to get behind and support. And so we're grateful for the opportunity that we've had to do that here today on the show. As Cole mentioned, on next week's show of Screen Cleaning, we're going to give you part two of that 50 states in the movies And uh, we are so excited to bring you part two of that fun, fun episode. If you want to look up part one, be sure to check out our podcast. Just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast or look up the Screen Cleaning Podcast wherever you get podcasts. And uh, there you'll hear that episode as well as over 100 other episodes for your enjoyment. Until next week, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we'll see you next time on Screen Cleaning.